0: Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. Hey, I'm Mike. Tom Colleen Hood is off today. It's been one year today since the devastating explosion in Beirut, Lebanon, killed 218 people and injured over 7,500 people. It also caused nearly $20 billion Canadian in property damage and left an estimated 300,000 people homeless. There aren't a lot of answers still, For what exactly caused the situation, but there are a lot of people working hard to take care of those affected and as well bring the good news of Jesus to them. We'll speak with them today on Connections. Tom Adama is our guest today. He's the founder and ambassador for Heart for Lebanon. He's been ministering to the country of Lebanon, its residents. For decades now, and Tom, we have gotten to know you uh, well on The Connection Show the last year. It was due to unfortunate circumstances after that devastating explosion in uh, Beirut. Maybe for those, it's been about a year now since that explosion took place. Those that can't recall all the details, maybe tell us what happened, first of all.
1: Well, it was August 4th, 2020, about 6.15 in the evening Lebanon time. Uh, when this explosion took place, which ended up being the largest uh, explosion in history uh, outside of the atomic bomb. Um, 300,000 people displaced, or 200 and some odd were killed, um, too many to count, uh, injured. Uh, devastation was in the billions of dollars. Um, all because of an accident, if I can word it that way, that's the politically correct way of saying it, of a ship that was been parked in the Beirut Harbor for years, full of um, um, ammonia hydrate was caught on fire uh, by a welder's torch. Um, So the official report said, and it exploded and people in Lebanon, especially in the Ashrafi section of Beirut, have been dealing with the aftermath of that massive explosion ever since. Uh, now, your organization, you've
0: been in Lebanon for years. If I recall correctly, you weren't so focused on Beirut usually. Is that right?
1: Yeah, well, years ago in 2006 when we started, we were just in south Lebanon and, and then eventually Beirut. Okay. Uh, and then eventually the Bekaa, But lately it's just been the Bekaa in the south because we felt there was a number of churches that could do the work in Beirut. Yeah, and you you folks did
0: some really great uh, work reaching uh, young people and families and caring for them and giving them the good news of Jesus. Um, what's it been like in Lebanon the last year since this devastating explosion?
1: Well, let me answer that question by going back just a few months before the explosion to October of 2019 when the economic crisis in Lebanon started. This was the result of years of what I call a formal legalized version of a Ponzi scheme, and it caught up with the country of Lebanon and they were in this spiral. Then the explosion took forth on August 4th, and I'll tell you, everything accelerated. I think 2020 was the year of acceleration. Yes. Um, The economy accelerated downward, which spun off all kinds of economic problems. Prices soared. Uh, 72% of the population of Lebanon is now living below or at the poverty line. Uh, it has started now that they cannot start school in October. The government resigned and only a couple days ago did they appoint a new prime minister. We'll see what he can do. This is a, If he can form a government, this will be his third uh, government that he's run. He's a billionaire. If you're in Lebanon and other places in Africa, Every time you use your cell phone, you put a penny or a nickel in his pocket. So he didn't come in with a full vote. He came in with a majority, obviously, but it's not an overwhelming mandate. All that to say is the people of Lebanon themselves, uh, the Lebanese people, call it the cue of humiliation. Every time they have to buy something, they have to line up for hours, and it's humiliating. Hmm because they're not used to this. Now you can put all these five, six, seven big crises together, which aren't being solved at the moment. But the biggest crisis of all, I think, is the crisis of hopelessness. Hmm. People have lost hope. I just got back from Lebanon and I'm about ready to leave again for Lebanon. And this one lady said, she came to faith in Christ. She was in our leadership training. And she said to me, Tom, The reason I started looking for an organization or a person or somebody to help me was I was sick and tired of being sick and tired of being sick and tired. My great grandfather didn't help me. My father didn't help our country, didn't help me. We're just living in the same despair over and over again. There's got to be an answer to this. There's got to be a solution to this. I'm tired of the way we've been living all these years. Well, this is why so many people are coming to faith in Christ, and that's the that's the upside of the crises in Lebanon. That is unprecedented, and I know that's an overused word, but it's an unprecedented opportunity for people to get to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, and then for us and others to disciple them. I love that. It's not an or first of
0: all, it's not an economic answer. It's not a healthcare answer. It's not all these different things that we would think of when helping a country. It's just faith in Jesus first, and getting to know and having a relationship with this God that loves them as uh, as a created people.
1: Exactly. You know, in, in Western Canada, in Canada, and whatever country you happen to be listening to at this particular time you can't put your f- future your hopes your dreams into the government because they're going to fail you every time and on top of that you have this worldwide pandemic that's isn't going away anytime soon by the looks of things and it's worse in lebanon than it was back uh, 6 7 months ago and so this delta variant of the of the virus And so if you put your into health, if you put your future into the government, you're going to lose. But if you put your faith and hope and trust in Jesus Christ, you're going to win. Here's what we have. We've seen it over and over again. Um, When people come to faith in Christ, you know this in Western, you see this in Western Canada. When people come to faith in Christ, Jesus makes their life better, and they become better at life. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: They just got a new attitude. There's a spring in their step. There's a joy in their heart. Situation around them might not be better, but they become better as a person. There's a peace. There's a longing. There's an understanding. And we find that with Syrian refugees, because don't forget, Lebanon still has 2 million Syrian refugees, the largest number of Syrian refugees per capita than any other country of the world. So you have 4 million Lebanese, 2 million Syrian refugees, about three, 400,000 Palestinian refugees in a country of the size, in the United States, it would be about the size of Vermont. So it, it, it's, it's in this context though, that um, Al Jazeera News, uh, not too many months ago, said that 16,000 Muslims were coming to faith in Christ every day. And every day. Would like to be on the front row seat of that.
0: Wow. I was going to add, my next question was going to be, what have you seen God doing over the course of the last year? But that 16,000 people coming to Jesus every day is pretty amazing.
1: Yeah. And I don't know how they come up with their numbers. It's not the most conservative or religious news source. Right. So I guess they have their way of figuring it out, but. Uh, Whatever the number is, I can tell you from my personal experience, from our organization, Heart for Lebanon's experience, they're not far off because we have people knocking on our doors um, and we don't count salvation decisions. We look for behavioral changes at Heart for Lebanon and at Heart for Lebanon, we know that the behaviors are changing for the majority of the
0: people. Hmm, that's pretty incredible uh what have you seen God doing over the course of this year or what else have you seen God doing any stories that come to mind whether uh, individuals or or larger
1: yeah there's there's plenty of stories I was sitting in a refugee tent last trip that I was there and this lady was telling me the story and she well first of all she started say, saying thank you to me more than once. It was like, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I finally looked to Bashir, who heads up our work at the Bacon, and I said, why is she thanking me this profusely? I mean, I don't understand this. I haven't done anything. We haven't as an organization. We're just, we're just helping her. And uh, she went to tell me the story that we were helping her. We put her child in our education program. She had come to faith in Jesus Christ, but she had just started the discipleship program when a person from the UK came into her tent and said, I'll give you everything Heart for Lebanon's given you, and I'll give you $500 a month cash. Now, when you're poor and you have absolutely nothing, and I mean nothing, I would like to think I would not take the $500. But when they have that $500 in front of you and waving it at you, she was tempted and she took it, only to find out that she had to move to another tent settlement which was run by radical groups. And she had to wear all the radical Muslim guard, the kids had to go to Muslim um, indoctrination in that radical ideology. And they became mean and fighting and argumentative and they just weren't the kids that she had known back in the other camp in in the Bacaw Valley. One day she was given this $500 cash in her tent and she looked at her kids and she said to herself, this isn't worth it. Hmm. My kids, I'm gonna lose them for five thousand dollars for five hundred dollars a month. So she somehow she got out of that camp. We don't know how, she's not exactly sure either, but God paved a path and she ended up in our camp. And she took that five hundred dollars as she was ready to leave that camp and she burned it in the stove. Wow. And she said to me, My children are worth. The price that Jesus paid on the cross. Yeah. I cannot sell myself out.
0: What do you do when you hear something like that? (laughs) What's your response? First
1: first of all, it humbles me. Yeah. Because I've never been that poor, to be honest about it. Yeah. So I I would like to think I wouldn't make those decisions. And but when you are that poor, and remember, I just said 72% of the of the people in Lebanon are living at or below the poverty line. They're making choices now when you live in that kind of poverty that you never dreamt of making. So I'm just thankful that we have an organization. One of There's others as well, but our organization, which Lebanese government says is the largest faith-based organization in Lebanon. I don't know how they come up with that either. I have a hard time believing it, but that's what they say. I'm just glad we have the resources and the prayer support to be able to meet these people at the point of their need. And then not only to lead them to Christ, but here's what's really important for us because we're all about making disciples and we have an opportunity to make disciples because they're not going to any other country. They're not going back to Syria because there's nothing to go back to. And it's illegal to go back anyway. And the Lebanese, If they have money and wanted to leave the country, they've already left. So they're not, nobody's leaving. They're going to stay there and live through this hard time. Mm -hmm. And so I'm encouraged because when I go to other camps and walk down into the camp for the first time, when they don't even know I'm coming, they don't know any of our team are coming, and you see a man in the back corner of a tent with three or four other men studying the bible when you go over here and see two or three children who have been in our educational program with their with their paperwork sharing it with other children this is about making disciples they're sharing the gospel they're sharing their life story and it's very encouraging uh,
0: you may the crisis of hopelessness but how important discipleship is in the midst of it and heart for lebanon you're doing something uh, new for your group now, too, I believe, and working with local churches or partnering with churches in a new way. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah,
1: this, this, is, this is really exciting for me because I've been going to Lebanon now 20 years, and I've been teaching leadership. And part of that leadership training is, is the value of a partnership, that two can do it better than one and two can go further than one. But in the Middle East culture, as well as other countries around the world, that's a hard concept for people to give up their ego and logo and just say, you get all the credit and just let it go. But because of the explosion in Beirut, um, yeah, we could have went to Beirut because, once again, because of the size we are, but we decided to work through Christian schools and churches, evangelical fundamental Bible believing churches and help them not only get repaired and fixed and being able to minister to their people, but to be able to take the message of Jesus Christ to their own community at a deeper and wider level. So by partnering with uh, 28 churches and eight Christian schools, um, we've been able to help them, not our, our name isn't on anything. Um, our name is on our vests that we have to wear by law But it's not on the food. It's not on the Bibles we give out. It's not on anything we do. It's all about that church or that Christian school. Uh, And now as September 1 becomes closer, um, obviously the cleanup, even though it's not all cleaned up yet and restored by any stretch of the imagination. But we're moving into another phase that will partner with these churches and schools where they will even do more for their community um, in fact, 1,400 families were adding through these uh, churches and uh, Christian schools that are in real desperate shape. Now, the result of this unique partnership is, is that churches are beginning to get the value of a partnership. Number one, because of our example, our name or logo is not on anything. But number two is they're watching their congregation and their schools grow when other organizations around their community aren't growing Hmm. because they're meeting the people's needs first and then they're sharing with them the gospel of jesus christ and and they're doing the discipleship work
0: i love that picture of them working together and sometimes you think like oh it's too bad churches don't partner together and let their differences get in the way but then you think about the disciples and they could barely even partner together sometimes right Right. (laughs) arguing about who would get what seat and what position in heaven and stuff and so, yeah, it's understandable that big churches, uh, but I just love that now that they're getting a view of what's po- what the potential is when they do it, that they're just, yeah, gaining traction now with that.
1: Yeah, it's really, it's really exciting to me. And, you know, pastors that would scratch their head before, say, well, I, I've got to do it this way. I've got to do it this way. You can do it your way. God's called you to do that. You've prayed yep. about it. huh? Listen, does it matter which way you paint the wall? If you paint it left to right or right to left, as long as the wall gets painted, who cares? I like that. Right? They begin to see that. The walls are being teared down. The walls of, of, of love go up. Um, they just don't have access to the resources, and we do. Hmm. So when we can say to a church, how many food bags do you need? How many mattresses do you need? How many pillows do you need? How many Bibles do you need? How many of this we can give that to them because we have the resources to do it. Uh, you said
0: earlier you're heading back to Lebanon shortly. Uh, what are your hopes and prayers for this trip? What do you and when you get there? What will you be up to? That kind of stuff.
1: Well, the tip of a spear for Heart for Lebanon is that we um, are all about making disciples. And so we have this program called Missional Leadership Development. It's people that have come to faith, Muslim background people who have come to faith in Christ that are already sharing their faith and make out an application to be part of this program. If they're accepted into it, and there's 126 right now that are accepted into this program, we take them through a three-year in-depth discipleship slash leadership course. We believe, I believe deeply, that leadership has to be connected with something in order for you to be successful. And if leadership is connected with discipleship, you can expand the body of Christ at, a, at an exponential rate. It's not about the expansion rate. It's about helping them understand who they are, what the gifts they have, the abilities that they have, and, and make them all better so that they can go back, hopefully, to Syria someday or wherever their heart language group takes them to work with them as a full-time Missionary for Jesus Christ. So, in essence, we're building a new mission force uh, for the Middle East. That's all indigenous um, that have gone through this program. So, I'll be teaching that. I go over once a quarter to teach. Um, I teach alongside of uh, indigenous people. I'm the only uh, one other American with with me on the team, and so we do that. And then, of course, you always have the home visits and the one-on-one visits and the discipleship opportunities as well as, uh, well, it's the beginning of budget season again, so we'll Ah. be having some staff meetings as well. (laughs)
0: Well, we'll be in prayer for all of that, and especially that, yeah, even more hearts and ears and minds open up to the good news of Jesus as you head over there. Tell us how we can keep up with you at Heart for Lebanon and the work that you're doing, and uh, how we yeah, stay up to date with your prayer requests and needs for the group.
1: Yeah, if you go to heartforlebanon.org and sign up for it under the Canadian page there, you can receive our emails or um, text messages, whatever you prefer is your choice. And you can also sign up to become a prayer partner and receive monthly prayer requests and uh, answers to those prayers as well. Uh, We do have an office in Canada and you'll see the address there and how to connect. So um, we'd love to pray for you, because a big part of our ministry is just praying for those people that have an interest in the Middle East. So love to stay connected.
0: Love that. Thank you so much, Tom, for your
1: time. Thank you. God bless you. Thanks for the opportunity.
0: And thanks to you again for listening to the Connections podcast. We'd love it if you subscribed and followed. Yes, it's free. Just go to podcastville.ca. You can find the Connections show there and choose your favorite app, Or you can just go on your favorite app, whether it's Google, Apple, Spotify, whatever. Just search for Connections with Mike Tom and Colleen Hood, and we'll talk to you again on Connections.